This is an AMI podcast. Are you ready? Yeah, let's go. From AMI Central. Now circling in the neutral zone. Here's the pitch on the way. 36 yards for the win. This. Here comes a big chance. The shot is. Is this the tagger? The neutral zone. Oh, oh my God. God. This is as good as it gets. Now, here's your host, two-time Paralympian, Rock Richardson. Hello and welcome to our very first video podcast episode of The Neutral Zone. I am indeed your host, Rock Richardson, and I am alongside everybody from The Neutral Zone. So let's start with Claire Buchanan. Claire, how are you? I am doing fantastic. Uh, we had a little bit, we, we almost had an extra co-host here today, uh, my son, I uh, wasn't feeling well yesterday, so he spent the day home uh, with me today and actually helped me set up all my new uh, my new mics and everything. So, uh, yeah, we almost had a fifth uh, co-host here today, but uh, luckily um, found a babysitter and we're all good to go. Hey, man, he could have been our first critic of... Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the... you know what? He, he loved putting the headphones in and playing around with the mic today, so he might be a future future co-host. <laughs> Absolutely. Also joining us is Cam Dickens. Cameron, how are you? Nice to see you physically. <laughs> nice to see everybody physically as well. It's uh, yeah, I'm looking so forward to the new uh, rendition of this podcast. And yeah, it was a good week, good weekend, and just ready to talk some sports. Absolutely. I'm right there with you. And finally, also joining us is Josh Watson. Josh, how are you? I'm doing well, folks. It's good to see everybody's smiling faces. We get to Try out this brand new platform and let's let's see how this goes today. It's going to be fun. Absolutely. I think I would be uh, remiss if I didn't start this by acknowledging Queen Elizabeth II and her passing at the age of 96 years of age. Uh, quick thoughts from all of you. Josh, what are your thoughts? Tragic day for the royal family, of course. Uh, there are many people, not just in Britain, but around the world, who don't know what it's like to have a different monarch on the throne. So it's it's a little strange for me, knowing that I'm living through something that's going to eventually wind up in history books, but um, just just very reflective of, of her reign and everything she went through as a monarch. And... Curious to see how the new monarch, Charles III, will uh, will proceed as the monarchy grows and evolves. Cameron and then Claire. Absolutely. It's uh, the only queen that I've ever known. Uh, she was on the throne for 70 years, um, which is the longest reigning monarch. And it's, it's really hard to put into words how I felt. Obviously, um, you know, I felt sad that she had passed away and sad for the uh, family. And it's just to see how steadfast she was to be able to um, make the decisions that she had to make throughout her life and how young she was. Uh, It was just amazing that uh, she was able to work for so long. And I know in a speech earlier, uh, many years ago, she talked about that, how she was going to be there for the um, people of England or UK, um, you know, for her life. And she'd be working for all of her life. So it's a a sad day. And I'm really interested to see how um, King Charles III will do. 
um, moving forward and how he'll bring the monarchy um, into the new century. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, kind of how if tables turn or how this evolves and uh, with the with the new ruling. Um, it's a generational thing that we like everyone around the world is experiencing uh, all together. So, um, yeah, it was kind of somber event and uh, thinking about her family and her friends right now. And yeah, it's I'm looking forward to how the royal family proceeds and kind of evolves into this next generation of, of uh, a different ruling of the monarch. Yeah, I related last week, uh, Thursday, sort of to a similar feeling of 9-11. And that's in the way of the fact that the whole world sort of felt to me in that moment that it froze. And I realized that life would change as we know it, because all of us sitting around this proverbial table have only known one monarch, as you guys really well illustrated. And I just think that that's the reality we live in. And King Charles the third, although that's weird to come out of my mouth as we've uh, not referred to him as that as of yet. That is our new reality. And all I can say is best of luck to him and condolences to the family and everyone that is affected. And now it's time to get into our headlines for this week. Let's do it. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders have released defensive lineman Garrett Marino after yet another questionable hit, this time on Winnipeg Blue Bombers quarterback Zach Caleros, which garnered criticism around the CFL. Unfortunately, this is not the first time that Marino has been involved in such a play. Earlier this year, he was responsible for a hit on Ottawa Red Blacks quarterback Jeremiah Masoli, which resulted in the league suspending him for four games. Unfortunately, this particular player just does not seem to be able to to learn and to adapt his play to the rules of the league, uh, as evidenced by the fact that he's been suspended once this season already. Here's hoping that if he does get another chance in the league, he will learn from his mistakes. But uh, as a follow-up, he has been cut by the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, so he is currently without a team. The Canadian women's hockey team has dominated the international stage with winning gold at the Olympics, the under-18 tournament, and most recently, the World Championships. We also have a new record holder for most points at a Women's Hockey World Championship tournament. USA's Hillary Knight has surpassed Dr. Haley Wickenheiser for the most points in her World Championship career. Knight now has 59 points, leapfrogging over Haley Wickenheiser, who had 56 points. Montreal Canadiens goaltender Carrie Price has been placed on the long-term injured reserve. After having off-season knee surgery, and this announcement comes three weeks after the Montreal Canadiens suggested he would be ready to return for the 2022-2023 season. He is now expected to play, or sorry, rather that he is not expected to play at all for this upcoming season. And if that is the end for Carey Price, which a lot of people are uh, saying, uh, he has had a phenomenal career. And I really think that um, a lot of the... Um, a lot of the mishaps or a lot of the players that he played with, uh, he covered up for a lot of their mistakes. And I think that you're seeing that now. 
and I think they are in the full rebuild mode for Montreal. And it would be an absolute shame if this was the end for Carey Price. Those are your headlines for this week. Let's uh, check in on our Twitter poll questions. When we go way, way back to the last time we recorded on audio, the question was, do you think the 11-game suspension was enough for Cleveland Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson? 67% of you said no, 33% of you said yes. This week's question is, do you think Serena Williams is the greatest of all time in all sports? Yes, no, only in the sport of tennis. You can cast your votes at our Twitter handle, which you can get right now as we bring it to you. And welcome back to the Neutral Zone AMI broadcast booth. And we are set to get this ball game underway. The first pitch brought to you by Brock Richardson's Twitter account at NeutralZoneBR. First pitch, strike. And hey, gang, why not strike up a Twitter chat with Claire Buchanan for the Neutral Zone? Find her at Neutral Zone CB. And there's a swing and a chopper out to second base right at Claire. She picks up the ball, throws it over to first base for a routine out. And fans, there is nothing routine about connecting with Cam and Josh from the Neutral Zone. At Neutral Zone, Cam J and at Jay Watson 200. Now that's a winning combination. And this organ interlude is brought to you by AMI-audio on Twitter. Get in touch with the Neutral Zone. Type in at AMI-audio. I would like to welcome in our first guest of our new uh, video podcast, the Canadian Paralympic Committee has been an extreme supporter of ours here at the Neutral Zone. In fact, our first guest joined us twice in a matter of three weeks at the beginning of the pandemic, and she is back to join us again. I am talking about Chief Executive Officer Karen O'Neill of the Canadian Paralympic Committee. Karen, nice to have you with us today. Welcome back. Well, thanks very much, Brock and everybody, and I'm thrilled to be here on the new format. It's uh, pretty exciting, actually. It's very exciting. It's uh, nice to see your face. We've talked a few times uh, through audio, but it's really <laughs> nice to put a face to the name. So thanks for coming on. And I just wanted to maybe start off with um, the audience members that are new. Um, can you maybe describe how you became involved with the Canadian Paralympic Committee? Uh, sure. Thanks very much, Cameron. Um, gee, um, I, I've always been in sport my whole life. And uh, I grew up in a, an area called the West Island in Montreal. And through aquatics, I ended up helping out in some programs for adapted aquatics um, at Point Claire Swimming Pool, which evolved to the Quebec Red Cross and then the National Red Cross. And at that time, all my involvement was pretty much swimming focused. But then when I became involved in national programs and we just saw the real gap in leadership for coaching, technical material, I became more involved in a broader uh, sport um, uh, arena, I'm going to say. And so uh, quick, quickly went into uh, Canadian Wheelchair Sport Association and also I would say volunteering with the Canadian Paralympic Committee. So it was with a, a good handful, I'd need two hands to count the number of years I was a volunteer uh, with the Canadian Paralympic Committee on their board and their chef de mission for one of the sets of games. And um, that really brought me back to, I'm going to say, the perfect convergence and honestly the highlight of my entire career now as CEO of the Canadian Paralympic Committee. Can you talk to us a little bit about your day-to-day -day operation at the CPC? Oh, sure, Joshua. Um, I'm not sure there's 
anything day-to-day or so-called normal or average about anything we're all doing, just given we're coming out of COVID, but uh, a few things. Um, For those people that might not know a lot about the Canadian Paralympic Committee, we're a national organization with 27 members. And those 27 members would be sport organizations like Swimming Canada, um, you know, uh, cross country. So the list goes on for all the summer and winter sports that you would see, those are our members. And at the top of the list, people would recognize us for uh, convening and getting all things organized for Team Canada, who participates in the summer and winter Olympics in a four year cycle. I'd also say a secondary area uh, that we really focus on is of sustainable performance and pathways so that in order to have the kind of results we do, but quite honestly, to be able to support our 27 members so that they can increase participation, increase engagement at all levels of sport participation within their particular sport. And I'd say the last thing we really focus on is communication. Really, there's some, as you would all well know, some pretty incredible stories of coaches, athletes, uh, the people that really help uh, our sport uh, community work. So our day-to-day is really helping those three uh, areas operate at a very physical level. Our national office is located in Ottawa. Um, I mentioned our 27 members, and then we work with uh, many of our partners like um, Heritage Canada through Sport Canada, the Canadian Olympic Committee, and Own the Podium. You had mentioned the experiencing COVID and the pandemic. Um, From before the pandemic and, and going through the pandemic as an organization, have you had a feeling of having to, quote unquote, bounce back from the pandemic and kind of how it affected uh, the organization and then trickling down to your other partners that you support? Yeah, that's a great question, Claire. And and quite honestly, whether it be when I was first on talking to Brock and Cam, I found my, my answers my and my responses have probably evolved over the last two years. Just as a reminder for everyone, um, our, our COVID decision for the game started in March 2020, in which we, our boards of the Canadian Paralympic Committee and Canadian Olympic Committee agreed to not send a Team Canada, which qu- quickly thereafter of the games for Tokyo were delayed the year. So again, we usually have one set of games every two years, winter or simmer, summer. So what this did was number one, delay the games for a year, which meant all those contracts, arrangements, everything that we had to undo to redo again. And then on the back end, we ended up with two games, Tokyo in the early fall and Beijing in the February, March period. So that was two major sets of games in six months. So that's not a long time ago. That's March, 2022 coming out of it. So I'm not sure I'm to the point of saying bounce back, Claire, but maybe if you call me again in January and I'm having New Year's resolutions, I'll have that. But all kidding aside, I would say I couldn't be more incredibly proud of our whole team, uh, our members, um, the resilience and innovations that everybody showed and demonstrated during COVID still continues. So Uh, There's actually quite a few silver linings to COVID. Um, Our entire team, including the sports, a lot of rest and recovery. And I also want to amplify rest and recovery at both a physical level, but also a mental health level. Oftentimes people see some of the challenges for some of the training. I mean, it was training and competition that were some of the biggest barriers during that period of time. 
I mean, many of the athletes in Beijing and Tokyo had not competed or seen their competition for two, three years. It's pretty tough to be at the highest pinnacle of competition when you see, you know, your opponents for the first time. So all to say, um, I would say that everybody's taking some of the lessons learned, really refreshing and refilling their tanks and looking at what next um, at multiple levels. Uh, and I can honestly say my overall comments is I, I can't be more pleased and proud to have been part of Team Canada and all of our partners that made it work. Uh, and produce the kind of results that we did uh, coming out of Beijing. We're in the midst of a conversation with Karen O'Neill, who is the Chief Executive Officer at the Canadian Paralympic Committee. I'm joined by Claire Buchanan, Josh Watson, and Cam Jenkins. And of course, I'm your host, Brock Richardson, and you're listening to The Neutral Zone. So Karen, we're in and about approximately 700 days to the Paralympic Games in Paris for 2024. What are the preparations like at this stage for the organization? That's another great question, Cam. Uh, just to give you an idea of where our heads would be at, 716 days to be exact. So uh, a lot of times the preparation for summer games, I mean, really right now it's really refining and getting some of the last minute details because any kind of competition coaching, I mean, we're retrospectively looking at the last four, six, eight years. So at this point, I could say at a very practical level, in fact, we have a team heading over in about three and a half weeks for to Paris for a site visitation. We're working quite closely with our embassy in Paris to help host, and we're also working hand in glove with our sports. It's one thing for us to organize a team and all the details that go with a successful Team Canada in Paris in this case, but it's another thing also to be able to align with what people are already doing. The last thing you want to do is introduce anything new. So hand in glove, our team is working incredibly closely with the, our sports that are going to participate in Paris to see what their training requirements, flight requirements. I mean, you've got um, a, an array of some very specific needs for food, bed, you name it. And we want to make sure that we can provide that. The second thing I'll say is that many people might not know that we actually um, take care of a third set of games in each quad, quadrennial, and that's uh, the Parapan games. So Santiago, Chile on November 17th, I think it is. So that's 431 days away. So what we do is we usually look at the Parapan games just before the Summer Paralympics as a package, bit of a dry run, a field test for the team, our staff, our processes, and our protocol. So. Again, another team visit to San Diego in a couple of weeks, and we're looking at uh, trial, uh, tri trial of a, a few new things to help support the team in San Diego. And last point, San Diego's qualification for many of the sports participating in Paris. So Santiago is very, very important. Last thing I'll say, with the world not having been able to participate or friends and family coming to the games, we know this is going to be big. So if uh, anyone has a chance to go on the Paris 2024 site, it's going to be a remarkable set of games. I mean, every set of games is memorable, but you've got each of the sport venues in front of some of the most historic monuments of Paris, like equestrian in front of, you know, one of the largest, the, you know, uh, visible uh, historical places. So um, I would say that uh, some of the ancillary programs honoring that we're not going to be distracting for the teams, that's the last thing they need. They need to focus on competition. 
but uh, our sponsors, friends, family, we know that uh, everybody's going to be pretty excited, not only for Paris, but post-COVID to celebrate and witness uh, some pretty exciting sport real time. That is amazing. Now, switching gears a little bit, National Coaches Week is coming up from September 19th through to the 25th. Can you talk to us a little bit about the organization's support of such a great week? Well, sure, Josh. Um, we, we couldn't do anything without coaches. Again, going back to our 27 members, um, kind of one of the, the strongest pillars of sport is going to be coaches and quality coaching. We work really closely with the Canadian uh, Coaching Association and participate both in the event itself, but also we're going to be bringing back something we used to do, which is the Coach's Spotlight. So during that week, uh, we're also going to be highlighting some of the great and very talented uh, Paralympic coaches. And in addition, that's going to be a kickoff for us to do a profile and story on uh, one of the Paralympic coaches, winter and summer, uh, once a month uh, for uh, thereafter. So we're pretty excited about that. Now, through September 30th to October 1st, the Game Plan Summit will also be taking place, which is an organization uh, that you support as well. Um, can you give us a rundown of that event and, and kind of what it does for athletes who are still athletes and or who are retired from sport. Um, thanks, Claire. I, I can talk a little bit about it, um, less about some of the details of the agenda. But if, if there was an athlete, for instance, listening and wasn't aware of the summit, going to the Canadian Olympic Committee site and looking for game plan conference September 30th to October uh, 2nd, they'll be able to find some of the details there. Um, Game Plan was created a handful of years ago. I think it actually goes back to about 2016. And uh, the Canadian Olympic Committee, Paralympic Committee, Sport Canada through Heritage, and also COPSON, the Canadian Olympic Paralympic Sport Institute Network, all got together to respond to a gap. And the gap was really around, um, I'm going to say, an integrated and total athlete development and wellness program. So Claire, as you mentioned in your question, whether it be you're on national team now and oh my goodness, <laughs> look at everything, or you're actively competing internationally and or you've just retired. So Game Plan is this incredible program where there's a, a, a list, the length of my arm of some pretty incredible Canadian corporate sponsors who have stepped up to help support career, education, mental health, networking, skill development, it's an incredible program and um, it's fall now. And in fact, a kickoff for the Smith School um, that supports, I forget what the number is, but uh, executive MBA certificates. So it's um, an investment of resources that certainly is unparalleled and it just keeps getting better and better every year. Last thing I'll say, it's um, I think it's just gonna be outside of Toronto. And uh, it's, a, it's a great opportunity for networking, especially cross sport, because most of the athletes until they retire, unless it's at a major set of multi-sport games, don't get the opportunity to visit or see unless they're at a, an integrated training facility. So it's a really neat way for the athletes to network and especially athletes across all stages of their career. Thanks for asking. Absolutely. It's actually, I will actually be at the, at the event myself. Uh, it'll be my third uh, game plan summit um, event that I've attended, and and like you said, it's it's unparalleled. It's uh, you you get so much insight from again other athletes, and um, just yeah, it's it's such a great way to broaden your your interests and in, in your life post sport or even while you're in sport. It's it's yeah, I, I am so grateful for the program itself. 
Oh, that's so that's so nice. Thanks for sharing, Claire. Um, uh, hopefully, I, I hope to be there for a portion of it. So come and say hi. I will definitely. Karen, you were mentioning about uh, mental health, and I know that's on the forefront these days. Uh, you know, with every organization. Um, can you maybe talk a little bit about uh, mental health and um, how was it during uh, the pandemic and how is it coming hopefully out of the pandemic for the athletes? Yeah, um, Cam, I, I, I won't pretend to speak for certainly the, the athletes, the direct experience, but I'm, I'm going to say from some of the more general observations and what we've paid attention to. Um, for the last two sets of games for both Tokyo and Beijing, um, we were working really closely with our members to see and, and support also our members because so many of our members also have direct mental health support, whether it be through a performance and or mental health consultant and support. And then for some of those sports that might not, or we want to look at a broader team approach, um, we've also hired uh, a mental health specialist um, heading into Tokyo and Beijing to be able to develop a longer term plan. So again, to my comments at the beginning, you never want to start something or introduce something new at the games. Not the time to do it. Not helpful. <laughs> so um, Su Susan is the name of the mental health uh, specialist uh, was working with the sports, uh, supporting the development of their own plans in addition to being available while at the games as things arose to help support through their support and then if any additional resources were required. It's not also just uh, limited to athletes and coaches though. Um, our team back home, we asked a lot of our team to participate in the size of games over six months. And um, so we also had some mental health support for our own team. Um, that being our mission staff here in Ottawa and also those that traveled with them. So that's just an, um, an example of the kind of initiatives. And again, it's not a one-shot wonder. It really is a process. And I would say it needs to be as important in the investment and the leadership, the priority and intentionality as we do for a sport technical program. I think the one point that you just hit on is one that I really like. I like the fact that we're not just focused on athletes, we're focused on staff. Because I think the easy answer is, well, the athletes are going through mental health and challenges with, with sport, but we don't realize that how many hours and hours coaches and support staff put into all this. And I think that's really, really important, uh, Karen. So thank you so much uh, for mentioning that. Really appreciate that. And it's a good sort of thing to make sure that everyone knows about as well. Thanks, Brad. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. I always love the uh, Canadian Paralympic Committee's support of our program. And uh, thank you for uh, being on our, our first voyage here with the uh, video podcast. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Brock, Claire, Cam, Joshua. Uh, really a pleasure to be on the inaugural voyage here and uh, look forward to the next discussion. And thanks very much for doing what you're doing and uh, bringing the conversation out to the community. Much appreciated. That's what we're here for. And we appreciate these conversations as well. That was Chief Executive Officer of the Canadian Paralympic Committee, Karen O'Neill. If you want to get a hold of us, here's how you can do it coming up right now. If you want to leave a message for the Neutral Zone, call now. 1-866-509-4545. 
And don't forget to give us permission to use your message on the air. Let's get ready to leave a voicemail! Well, guys and girl, it's uh, such a wonderful way to uh, kick off uh, this show when you have someone of the knowledge of uh, Karen O'Neill and the willingness and the understanding and the desire to join us on the program. So really great to have her on board as always, and we will bring you up to speed on all kinds of para sports as they come and go over time, and this is what we're here for and what we're doing. Time to uh, switch gears to the NFL. Well, that's where we're going to start anyways. Um, some big news coming out of Dallas. Uh, quarterback Dak Pres- Prescott is going to be uh, having surgery after having a thumb injury and will miss multiple weeks. And I've written down here, that's so Dallas. It's just so <laughs> Dallas to have week one of, <laughs> of the season. Also, it's a thumb. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's... there's no way I'm gonna feel sorry for Dallas. Yeah, no, probably not. <laughs> I don't feel sorry for Dallas either. But hey, it's news and it's there, and so we shall share it. Um, let's start with week one of games that we all took in. We'll start with Josh, then we'll go to Claire, then we'll go to Cameron, and I will bring up the rear. Well, for me, being a Dolphins fan, of course, I had to check out the Dolphins and the Patriots and very, very happy with that 20-7 to result for the Dolphins. Um, we have a new head coach who got his first win as a head coach, which was really exciting to see. Um, the Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle all seem to be working well together in the receiving core. Uh, we do need to work a bit on the running back situation. Uh, they picked up Raheem Mostert from San Francisco in the offseason. He seemed to struggle a little bit, so hopefully they can get that organized. But, I mean, let's be honest, it's the Patriots, and I'm never going to assume that the Patriots are the way they are in Week 1. So I'm I'm fully anticipating that we're going to have to be uh, fighting it out with them and with Buffalo uh, going forward. But that was an exciting game for me. I did, of course, check out the Bills and the... Help me out here, guys. Bills and... Oh, they Bills play L.A. And L.A. Rams. That was it. Yes, the Rams. I, I did check the same out the blank. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You'll, you'll be able to see it on my face now when I just poof, gone. Uh <laughs> But I did check out the Bills and Rams. I was a bit surprised at how well the Bills handled things, but overall, I'm not surprised that they did. They're looking like a very strong team as well. And Cameron, what would you say? Uh, for me, I was watching the Bills and the Rams on Thursday night or trying to stay awake for it. It should be illegal for like a senior citizen like myself or <laughs> close to being a senior citizen for it to like be an 8 or 8.30 p.m. game because there's no way that I'm going to get past the first half hour to an hour to watch the game. So NFL, if you could please, uh, you know, just uh, cater to my needs and my needs only by uh, putting it on at, I'd say, 6 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, that'd be beautiful. Just a second. Uh, just a second. But I regret Hold on. You're not even yeah. old enough to get the shopper's discount yet. I won't call out your age, but oh, man. for those of you I that want to know. The shoppers, 
I was offered the shopper's discount <laughs> and they gave it to me. And I felt terrible because I did not say anything about what my age was. They just assumed it. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to get a discount. So apparently I look old enough to get the shopper's discount. Let me just say that first and foremost. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I also fell asleep in the middle of a football game. Uh, it was last night. I, I went on a 10 kilometer hike. Let's just say that first of all. So wow. that's, that's <laughs> um, I was exhausted, but yeah, I honestly seeing the bills on Thursday play the way that they did. They have one of the best uh, defensive cores in, in the game right now. And uh, I, I hate to say it. It sounds like a uh, broken record, but defense wins championships and uh, they, they have a very good chance of uh, winning the Super Bowl this year, but um, the Bills. I, I mean, as a pack, are you willing to bet something on that? Hey, court, I or? keep betting playoff beards with you guys, so I mean, I am game for a bet. I'm game for a bet, but if you playoff guys beard. lose, you, you I got to see some playoff beards. Are you gonna grow a playoff beard if you I'll lose? just, yeah, I'll just, I won't touch it, I'll, it'll just grow out this way. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> With the Bills, I was surprised, to be quite honest with you, because they got 292 passing yards. And to me, that seems quite average. Um, but when I was watching the game, Josh Allen, he seemed to be in complete control. Um, I know I think there was a couple of interceptions with the game, too. But th that's what shocked me is to see how dominant I thought Buffalo was. And they were with the rushing yards. They were. Um, but then when I actually looked at the statistics, it was like only 292 passing yards. So, um, but they look dominant. Yeah, I think the thing for me that's kind of the scariest thing is that they need to get their running game going. And I understand people are out there, you know, saying, well, they got Stefan Diggs. Great. They had Stefan Diggs last year as well. And, you know, I just think that that's the, the part of this team that needs to to be better. I mean, the throwing's going to be there. Sure, it's all well and good. You're going to have to compete with Kansas City, who's going to be there with Patrick Mahomes. You're going to have to compete with the LA Rams yet again. I don't think you know, even though it's a one you know one win, I don't think it's easy to write home and say, well, because we beat the defending champion, well, therefore, that's it. This is a long season, and. Josh, I'm with you. I really like what um, Miami's doing. I, I believe in uh, Mr. McDaniel. I think that Tua looks a lot more mature than than you know people may give him credit for. He just needs to be confident in the in the pocket and throw the football. I, I'm I'm not a believer in Mac Jones for for the the Patriots, I'm really not, you know, but this is Bill Belichick, as you point out, that we're talking about. And so that's the thing that we all have to wonder. And we all can say the the AFC is a quote-unquote weaker division, which whatever, fine. But you're going to have to take on the big dogs in the other divisions before you can even start talking about Super Bowl. Does any of you have... Sorry, oh, I was just going to say, I think you're giving the Patriots way too much, um, way too much credit because they're not the Patriots of old, you know, with the star quarterbacks. So I think they're certainly rebuilding and 
I, I don't think that they're going to be doing very well this year. I'll have to agree with you, Cam. I think out of uh, the two quarterbacks from Alabama, uh, Miami definitely ran away with, with the better starting quarterback. So um, he, he did look... He, he looked really good when he was at Alabama, but um, I just, it's, it's going to be a long road for the Patriots. And uh, he is a great quarterback, but I think, again, he has a long way to go to be able to fight with uh, the bigger teams there. Okay, I want to run down some of your uh, dark horses, let's say. So let's go with Josh, then Cameron, then Claire on the dark horses of the NFL. And you can go any division you want. Hmm. Dark horses. Wow. Um, that's a tough one. Um, can you call Kansas City a dark horse? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't would know. Pick them, I think, <laughs> because they have lost Tyreek Hill. They've lost um, a, a couple of people on their defensive side. So they're not the the Chiefs that have been so dominant in recent years. Uh, they do still have Mahomes, so I suppose um, that one's maybe an iffy pick. Um, well, I know, but it takes more than a quarterback to uh, play football. And when you take out, you know, guys, whether whether he's a good quarterback or not, so it's fair to call them a dark horse. I think it's a bit of a a risky dark horse, but I'll give that one to you. Would you consider uh, the Bengals to be a dark horse team? Because they kind of came out of nowhere last year, and they might come out of nowhere this year too. Um, and if they, well, they did really well last year. So if they do really well again this year, do you believe in the Bengals? Um, or is it still just kind of catching lightning in a bottle? So uh, I think that's going to be a dark horse team and see how they kind of compete this year and see if they can do as well as they did last year because they certainly weren't expected to do well. For sure. Absolutely. Uh, I think everyone was surprised by the Browns this week as well. Um, they're always a dark horse. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, if they, they do never well, their own they, way. if they do <laughs> well, it's going to surprise them everybody. The Detroit Lions losing—that's like, <laughs> yeah, that's just yeah. a minute. I'm I'm looking up the word dark horse, and the Browns are beside the name. Yeah, God, just right God. there in the dictionary. There's <laughs> yeah, a picture I, of them. Um, I'm gonna honestly. I think everyone's counting out my pack this year, and um, I hey, I now have a cheese head that I can wear on the show now. So oh boy, uh, there we go. I'm surprised yeah. you didn't wear it for this episode. Yeah, my my pack are going to do well. I know they've uh, didn't do well the uh, the first week, but um, yeah, don't count them out. And I think that the league and uh, the critics have kind of pushed them out of the conversation this season. So, yeah, I'm I think... just glad that all the Packer fans are, are able to breathe after watching uh, Aaron Rodgers run into his. What was it? A left tackle that sandwiched him <laughs> yeah. to the ground? I thought for sure he was leaving with a concussion after that one, but thankfully he was all right. Well, that's another thing. They, they're they missing their run game, and they, they have to find ways to not just rely on the arm of Aaron Rodgers. But that's what they've done for years now. Yeah. And I think you can't really call them a dark horse team if they're going to have Aaron Rodgers because <laughs> yeah. they always go out front. So, and, and you're just a Homer Packer fan, so... <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out a dark horse that I that I'm surprised nobody has thrown out there. 
I am a believer in the Saints. I think that Jameis Winston, even though no more Drew Brees, I get all that. I believe mm-hmm. that Jameis Winston can be that guy. That game that they played this weekend was unbelievable. Came down to the very last minute. And he threw some pretty solid touchdowns. And, I mean, they've got um, Michael Thomas as a receiver. And I think if he can stay healthy, they are a dark horse. And aside from the Browns, you know, move the move the dictionary aside, they are kind of your, your epitome dark horse. And I, and I really believe that they can do it. Now, the star beside that one is can they stay healthy? That is the question that they're going to have to answer because – uh, Mr. Winston, although good, is no Drew Brees at the same time. So we'll see what, what happens here with that. And uh, um, it's going to be interesting. I mean, week one, I mean, there's still teams that will put together their Super Bowl parade and everything is all hunky-dory. We've, we've got a long season to go, but it's fun to kind of put out there um, what, uh, what, what can be. Anything more on the NFL or can we move on to baseball? How many, how many, who thinks that they already have a contract written up for Gronk when he comes back halfway through the season? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you, you mean which team or? Tampa Bay. It's going to be Tampa Bay again. <laughs> oh, of course. Like, why Absolutely. not get paid X amount of dollars like he does to play yeah. the last few games of the season and then go into the playoffs? And he gets a, like Brady. a whole year vacation and plays a few games of football. Gets paid. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> Three things in life that right. are guaranteed: death, taxes, and probably Tom Brady and Gronk winning the Super Bowl. So. <laughs> <laughs> does anybody uh, does anybody believe in Tom Brady retiring? Because like I posted in our instant no. message group oh. when we put this out there, I'll believe it when I see it. Does yes. anybody mm-hmm. believe in this yes. at all? No, that has no. to come with an action. Like, <laughs> you can't just he's, say it. <laughs> he, he's definitely sticking around, especially if he gets divorced. Well, <laughs> And I think wow. that's why he will retire after next year, because I think his wife is uh, pretty upset. So it's a happy wife, happy life. And I think this is going to be his last season because of that. So, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I listen... Until Tom Brady is gone for like half a season, I I'm not I'm not buying it, and he's I'm also flipping five. It doesn't like, matter. He he's just stopped five years ago. How does he ago. keep doing it at this stage of his career? How does he like be so phenomenal? It's that's the I question. Know, it's just mind boggling. It's the water in Tampa and uh, and New England that's been keeping him keeping him going here. All right, let's. Uh, switch gears into the MLB. They've got some new rules that I want to go over. So let's start with the uh, no shift. Three players must be on either side of second base. All infielders must have two feet on the dirt when the ball is thrown. And then the second one is the pitch clock. So 15 second pitch clock with no runners on base and 20 seconds with runner on base and then you may throw over three times but on the third time when you're going to pick somebody off you have to get the runner or it is considered a balk which of those rules I mean we could talk about the you know 15 inch bases to the 18 inch yeah, I'm basically who cares about that one. Which of those rules 
do you guys like or dislike the most? Let's go Cameron, Josh, Claire on this one. I love not having the shift. Just play your position, stand where, like, I'm used to players standing, like, from the 1800s onwards. And just, I love, I like, I don't want people doing the shift because it makes the game so much more boring. So it's it's nice, and then people are going to have to run more, and they're going to have to show off their defensive uh, abilities a lot more. So I think that's going to be exciting, and that's going to give the game a little bit more action, a little bit more runs. Sorry, I guess that was my cue. Um, for me, I'm interested to see the the pitch clock and see how that is going to work out. Um, we have seen in the past some some notoriously slow pitchers where you could pretty much go and take a washroom break and come back and you wouldn't have missed a pitch. So it's going to be interesting to see how teams handle that and do they keep those pitchers around and try and convince them to move faster? Or do you see a lot of pitchers that we're used to seeing maybe out of the league because they can't adapt? It's going to be very interesting. That is an interesting point, Josh, that uh, it's got, yeah, it's going to put pitchers kind of in a new uh, maybe routine that they go into on, on the mound and that a routine could uh, make or break some athletes. So uh, Brock, you didn't want to mention the larger bases, but that's the one thing that kind of stuck out for me because I think the larger bases makes it easier to steal bases that essentially decreases the space between each base so it'll be it'll be interesting to like i think i think that's a little ridiculous of a rule to put in place because uh um bases have been the same size since the start of baseball i believe so but i think that's one thing that they didn't really have to touch but um yeah cam you pointed out a great thing like i i've mentioned over the span of my time being here that I've I've learned a lot from not knowing anything about the game of baseball to now being involved in conversations like this and it's thank you for, for pointing out that uh, the defensive shift uh, rule is actually going to uh, make us see more athleticism uh, on the field um, because uh, they, they really have to stay within their so, quote unquote square of um, defensive positions so um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that. Um, we've we the Blue Jays themselves have had quite a few number of uh, outfielder outfielders that uh, are MVP worthy, and so it'll be exciting to see uh, how that changes the game. For sure, uh, the one rule that I think they really missed the boat on, and it's one that I've talked about on on various programs this week, is the whole when we slide into a base and we lose contact and you know, the runner gets tagged. I don't think that was the intention of the rule for, for players to be called safe and out. Now I get it by the letter of the law, the runner is out. That's fine. But do you guys like this rule or like, is it just me that goes, Oh, that's not the way this rule was designed for was to, call a player out after they are safe and because they popped up and eh, that's the end of that cam josh and then claire 
Yeah, I think that uh, I, I like that rule. You put your foot on the bag, you got to keep it there. So it teaches you how to slide properly. Um, so your forward momentum doesn't go off the bag. Um, you know, for years, it's been awesome when you see those kind of, I'll call them trick plays, where, you know, the person has it in their glove and they pretend to throw the baseball, but they still have it in their uh, glove. And then the guy goes off of second and taps him and then, you know, the person's out. So I personally love that kind of stuff and um, to see those kind of plays and it just kind of adds something to the game. So personally, uh, I think they do need to stay on the bag. I'm not quite as enamored with it as you might be, Cameron. I think that if somebody steals a bag and they beat the tag, then they should be allowed at least to stand up. <laughs> if you're standing on second base and then you walk off the base and get tagged, well, that's your own stupid fault. But <laughs> to 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 slide in, beat the tag, and and have to watch... The, all these copious replays and say, well, well, did, did his hand come off the bag or did he reach around the fielder? Like even at home plate, it's it's a challenge. And it's like, did he did he avoid the tag as he was sliding in or or not? And it's just it slows down. That's a tough one for home plate. When, I don't once, yeah, I don't like once that you either, slide Josh, in. for home plate. Yeah. Once you slide into a base, I think you should be able to just be safe. So that's, for, that's me. Yeah, for home plate, I think that, <laughs> yeah. you know, I miss the days of, uh, you know, and it's bad for the catcher. And I understand why they're doing it, but there was something about it when they blocked the plate and they were trying to get there and knock the catcher over and so on and so forth. And now, like, you can't even touch the catcher. And it seems to be really hard to slide into home plate or to be able to to do that without interfering or touching the catcher because if you do you could be out anyway so yeah it's that's because nobody understands the rule and how to block the plate okay. including the major league baseball umpires like Claire, this I'll is this is why though that like we've had the these tulips. rules in the game this entire time and i think changing these rules are going to create a lot of controversy and a lot of um i don't know how to put it in basketball you call it flopping like, I think it's going to cause players to try to trick the system. Um, again, I'm with Cam. I love seeing those tricky plays where uh, an athlete takes the time to uh, get in the ath other athlete's mind and, and, and see if they're going to go, go off the bag or, or how they're going to slide into home plate. Um, yeah, I think it's we don't want to change the games that we love. Uh, too much and I think I think that's what's happening in baseball specifically right now there's a lot of changes happening and I'm really wary if it's actually going to stay true to like the basis of of the game we literally don't want to change it where nobody understands what the rule is anymore <laughs> exactly and I, that <laughs> and, I, and I think that's where we are at with this home plate and sliding rule Nobody gets it. The analysts pretend to do this whole deal, and it's all good. You know, I don't. I don't know. I, the MLB needs to get their stuff sorted out, and limiting the amount of times you can 
throw over to first base is not something we need to deal with at this point. Let's get the home plate rules straightened out. That is the end of our program for this week. I'd like to thank Cam Jenkins, Claire Buchanan, Josh Watson. Our technical producer is Mark Afolo, and our manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. Tune in next week because you just never know what happens when you enter the neutral zone. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. Be safe. Be well.